Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. I'm Marian Ellis, and today I'm speaking to Stephen Boniface. A chartered building surveyor at Whitworth's, Stephen specialises in historic building conservation and party wall and expert witness matters. So, hello, Stephen. Welcome to the Survey Hub podcast. Good evening. You know, I've been recording these podcasts in the morning, early morning, and so I feel a bit like Zoe Ball Breakfast Club. And now I feel like I'm chilling out with Joe Wiley in the evening, <laughs> recording evening ones now. The trouble is I don't look anything like Joe Wiley. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. That's a good thing, I think. But yeah, welcome. It's really good to speak to you and have a good chat with you. You've presented at a couple of our road shows. Um, yes. the past few years very well received the audience love you so thank you for that oh, i enjoy doing them yeah so for people who have absolutely no idea who you are could you tell us a bit about your surveying journey and the kind of work that you do yeah well it all started um back in the late 70s when i was about to leave school believe it or not my mother was a flying instructor and i wanted to become a pilot and just before leaving school I found I couldn't become a pilot for various reasons. And my grandfather, who was a builder carpenter, said, you need to get into construction, lad. People always need houses or offices. So I thought about it. And he said, the one thing you don't want to do is go on the trades. He said, become a professional. They earn more money. And uh, I knew some surveyors. So I went to speak with them and I shadowed them. And I thought, actually, this doesn't seem to be too bad. You're not stuck in an office. You're out and about a lot. And that's how I got into it. I almost fell into it. I became a general practice surveyor. And the first six years, I did commercial agency, property management, valuations. And then once I qualified in 84, I um, left and joined a company where we did a wider range of work, including mortgage valuations and building surveying. But during the 80s, it was it was hard work. I mean, there was a lot of work going on. It was during the housing booms. So there was a lot of things going on. But to be quite honest, I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't really enjoy that sort of work. But then one day, I was asked to do um, a survey, and all I was given was an address. So I bowled up to this property and got out of the car, and there before me was this timber frame thatched house. And I thought, good grief, what do I do now? And I phoned the office, and I said, I have no clue. And they said, well, nor have we. Just get on with it. So I winged it. And um, I, fortunately, I've never been sued for it, but uh, I dread to think what I said or, or what I did at the time. But it got me interested. I've always been interested in history anyway. It was one of the subjects I, I loved at school and I would have pursued in a different life, perhaps. But yes, I was interested in history and I thought, well, oh, let's look into this. And so during the late 80s, I did my own private research, reading, background study. And then in the late 80s, the RICS teamed up with the College of Estate Management to do a course. And I was one of the guinea pigs. I was one of the first to do it. And that would have been in 1990 when it actually started. 
And that got me onto into surveying and got me onto the career path from then. So 30 years ago now, I effectively got into building conservation. So that's how I got into it. So that's, if you like, my potted history of how I became a surveyor and then got into conservation. You know, so many surveyors I meet say they fell into the job. And I do wonder, you know, when we talk about recruiting people from schools and getting them interested in property, nobody seems to do that, or not many. Most of us have fell into it. And I think that's life experience actually is really important. Tell me a bit about your practice and the kind of work that you now do. Well, I set up on my own in 93 and for seven years, you know, had my own practice, just me. And I realised that, you know, however good I may be as a surveyor, I was a pretty useless businessman. And by the end of the 90s, I thought, oh, I can't cut this anymore. And so I was thinking about joining a practice. And I had two practices that were I was interested in. One being a surveying practice, practice that was known for conservation and more general work. But the other being a mixture of surveyors and architects. And I quite like the idea of going in with architects as well and having that more mixed. So I joined in 2000. In fact, at the turn of the million, 1st of January 2000, I joined Whitworth as a partner. I took my business and merged in with them. So that's how I got into Whitworth. Whitworth was set up in the 60s, primarily to deal with church work at the time. So has always done conservation. And yeah, so it's developed over the years. And we continue with that tradition, as it, as it were, of doing church work and conservation. We tend to do a broad range of work now, a lot of residential. We do some commercial and we do deal with some modern buildings. We've done some new estates, for example. But I'd say 70, 80 percent of our work is on historic buildings. And is that unusual for surveyors to be partners in an architect's practice? I can't say how unusual it is. I mean, when I joined, it was unusual. Most architectural practices had surveyors in the practice, but not as partners. And in fact, still to this day, you'll find many architectural practices with surveyors in very senior positions, but not necessarily partners. So I think that may be slightly unusual. But um Yeah, I I can't speak for others, but it's how we've always operated. As a practice, it was a mixed practice right back until the mid-80s, I think. So even as a firm of architects, they had surveyors at senior and at partner level from about the late 80s, I believe. So So do you get to work on joint projects together then? Yeah, we mix and match. Quite often we find that I might go out and do a survey on a historic building the people buy it and then they want to repair it or extend it or alter it. So the work then gets passed on to the architects. And so we, we've we got quite a few projects where we've dealt with them from before they've bought them for several years, doing different bits and pieces and work for them and their family and, and friends. And so it's quite a nice blend. And of course, they have projects where they need my advice on things, say, for example, party wall matters. And sometimes just helping them to make sure it stands up and doesn't fall over because us surveyors are more practical than these uh, architects, of course. <laughs> it sounds like you have a, you've seen a wide range of really interesting properties to work on. Yeah, I mean, when I look back at what I've surveyed or what we've done as a practice, they range from, if you like, the traditional Georgian townhouse um, that you see throughout the country, but in our region, which is East Anglia. You see a lot of that. We do a lot with timber frame buildings, cottages, houses and and the like. 
we obviously do a lot with churches, but in addition, we've done quite a number of castles over the years and all manner of weird things. I even once had to survey a Neolithic flint mine. I don't know if you've heard of it, Grimes Graves? In no. <laughs> it's just, just north of uh, Thetford, near Swatham, that area. It's called Grimes Graves. It's owned by English Heritage, and it was part of their condition survey scheme a number of years ago. So, yeah, it's quite unusual to try and survey a Neolithic flint mine. Yeah. Who'd have thought when you started out your career, you'd be picking up that kind of thing? <laughs> At the time of recording this, we're in the lockdown. Yeah. How have you been finding that? It's, it's been difficult. In fact, as we speak this week, I'll finish all the work I can sensibly do. And that'll be it. I'll be sitting here thinking, where's the next uh, job going to come from? How am I going to do it? And my partners are fortunate being architects. They can do quite a lot of their work from desk-based anyway. And provided they've already been out to site to look at something over the past couple of months, they can carry on. And I think they've got projects that might take them on for another month or so. But obviously, it leaves me thinking, what am I going to do? And some time ago, I, I, I got to thinking about this surveying lark. And I've seen a lot of discussion on the Surveyors Hub about the use of drones and pole cameras and all different things, neither of which I actually use. Um, but that's another matter. <laughs> but it got me thinking about how we operate as surveyors. And most of our work is visual. It's simply looking at something. And yeah, it, it involves knowing what you're looking at. But it just means looking at something. So I thought, is there a possibility of getting someone? Initially, I thought, you know, filming a property, filming their problems like, you know, I've got a damp problem. Well, okay, do me a film, send me for some photographs, and I'll see if I can give you some advice. And I thought, well, yeah, that's limited because they're only going to show me what they want to show me. But if I had a way of actually speaking to them live and saying, right, go there show me that bit and stop a minute. Let's zoom in on that. Let's look at this. And so we've been thinking about it for a while, about doing remote consultancy. And then we've been talking about it for the last couple of months. And then, of course, with the present circumstances, we've accelerated bringing that in. So as of last week, we launched officially our remote consultancy service. We don't yet know how successful that's going to be. It may be a total flop, <laughs> but you've got to try these things. I think you're right, Stephen. We have to try it. And it's a really interesting time to look at the kind of work that we do, how we do it, how we interact with clients. And yes, you're right. There's been quite a bit of discussion on the Surveyor Hub and on LinkedIn and, uh, and elsewhere over virtual surveys. Is that the right thing to do? And I've got really mixed feelings about it, actually. So when it comes to a survey, I was talking to a surveyor earlier on today. One of the things that we've been doing at Blue Box is uh, hosting a weekly hub conversation, which is basically a Zoom, a few surveyors having a chat about this, that and the other. And a surveyor today, we talked about it and we were talking about remembering properties. He'd been going through his files and doing a bit of tidying up and deleting. And he could still remember some of the properties that he'd been in. And it got me thinking about why do we remember certain properties? Sometimes it might be the features. Sometimes it's the character of the owner or the vendor that's in there or the circumstances or the day that we were having personally. But also I wonder sometimes when you walk into a property, 
it's that you can feel the property. Now, that might sound a bit woo-woo, but there's quite a lot of research about, you know, our senses. We don't just have the five senses. We have thousands and thousands of senses. Uh, and there's quite a lot of research. I read a book by English Fettle Lee called Joyful. I'll put a link in the uh, in the podcast notes. And um, she she's a, an interior designer and she talks about sort of what makes us happy and not. And in the book, she describes going to some house in Japan where they've basically made all the walls wonky and the floors wobbly and everything is different. She tries to really push this, the senses. But she talks about you know, the thousands of different senses that we have. And when you think about you go into a property, you just know there's a defect you just know something's going to go wrong or you just know there's something there. And that's our, our intuition. It's our experience. It's the mastery and the skill of our knowledge and our job. But I wonder actually sometimes the, the senses that we have help us remember some of these properties. Because let's face it, sometimes, particularly some jobbing surveyors and valuers, when I used to go out and do my job, dear me, if I didn't keep track of where I was, sometimes they just all look the same and they blur into one when you're looking at your photos at the end of the day but I could still remember certain certain ones. For me, I think there's an element of that being really important when we bring that into the surveys that we do. And for me, there won't be anything better than you going out to site, doing a survey, meeting your client there, talking them around, you know, if you think about the best possible service that you can give. But let's face it, we can't do that right now. A lot of surveyors don't go that far anyway, but we can't give them that. So what else can we do? And there's a few different things that people need to be thinking about. And yes, you know, offering a virtual service is really important. Is that a virtual survey? No, it's not. I think the language that we use around it is really important, but there's no reason why we can't talk about virtual consultancy. I think on the last one podcast, I talked about doing a power hour. There's no reason why you can't, as a surveyor, can't charge for your time to talk to a customer who's in the process of buying a house or has some worries with a property because you still have something to bring and add. And most of the time, they just want to talk to you and and explain. And obviously, you can give advice within sort of limitations within your terms, but they just want some reassurance. And there are some typical things that happen to certain types of property of certain ages and that kind of thing. So I think there is scope for doing something like that. So it'd be really interesting to see how this pans out for you. I agree with everything you say and good that's good Stephen (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was a good reason to have you on this podcast (laughs) I'll send the invoice later um no I I do agree with everything you say and in in fact for 30 odd years so when I set up on my own the one thing I wanted to do to differentiate myself from other surveyors was to invite my clients to meet me on site you know not during the inspection but towards the end Of course, that is subject to the vendor not minding. So I've been doing that for nigh on 30 years. And yes, there's the argument about reflective thought and everything. And I always caveat those meetings with saying, well, once I've thought about it, once I've gathered my thoughts, I might change my mind. I'll send you, I'll, I'll ring you or I'll send you an email to clarify. But it is so much more helpful to meet someone on site and to meet them face to face, to see the fear in their eyes when you mention Death Watch Beetle. Or in some cases, you say, I've found subsidence. They simply shrug and say, yeah, I expected you to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it comes in all flavors, you know, these sort of conversations that you have with your clients. And of course, doing these things remotely, it does make it well, it's impossible to do that. And of course, you're quite right. You lose that sense of all the senses and, you know, being able to tap something, being able to touch something. 
you know, a lot of people say to me, surely you can't tell the difference with things just by tapping it. And when you start explaining, well, I can tell the difference between asbestos board, plasterboard, and lava plaster just by tapping it. And they say, no, surely you can't. You say, yeah. It's magic, isn't it? <laughs> ring or response you get. And of course, you, you lose that if you're not at the, at the property. But it came home to me a couple of months ago when I spent four hours getting to a property where I was there for half an hour to assess a damp problem that I could have assessed from a few photographs, maybe a video and a chat over the phone. I needn't have been on site to do that. I know I could have assessed that problem without being on site. Being on site didn't help me at all. And I wasted a lot of time and the client's money. And I thought, maybe there are opportunities here. It does have its limitations. And in our in our blurb, in our terms and conditions, we say it is no substitute for a physical inspection. And it, it may be possible that as a result of the consultation, we say we will need to inspect. But that's part of what you then agree at the end of the consultation, what the client wants to do next. But I can't see why we shouldn't be able to give some useful pointers, some useful advice to give them some, you know, is it urgent? Yes, get someone in or, you know, you need to sort this out straight away or no, I wouldn't worry too much. It can wait. Let's arrange to look at it again in a few months time or whatever. And I think there is merit in that. And I think you're, you're right. There is some value in that, that we can sell. And as I say, as of next week, I'm not earning from anything else. And unfortunately, we fall outside of the net that the government has set for any assistance. So once we stop burning, we're onto our savings because no one else is going to help us. Now, I'm not saying that for people to say, oh, poor surveil, <laughs> what a shame. But it's just to illustrate the fact that we have to think of ways of trying to earn money. And what we've got to sell is our knowledge and experience. The one thing I would say, though, this isn't for everyone. I think it would be a dangerous thing for many surveyors to go out there and just have a go because either they haven't got the experience or they could be asked questions. They they think, oh, yeah, I can deal with this. And could they? I don't know. I mean, with all due respect to the surveyors hub, some of the things I see on there, and I think crumbs, there are a lot of surveyors out there that haven't got a lot of experience because the questions being asked are so basic. And yet they're qualified surveyors, and some of them are working for themselves already. And you think, oh, oh dear. And then I think back and I think, well, there was a time I was perhaps like that as well, you know, back in the 80s and maybe even when I started up on my own in the 90s. Although by then I had got sort of 15 years experience already. But when I look at some of the surveyors today, they may be very good surveyors and they may be very careful and conscientious. But it does worry me when I see some of the comments being made. And could they do this? Probably not. I think it is for those of us, dare I say it, now that I'm getting old, (laughs) over 60 and near retirement, nearer to retirement than anything else, then yes, I've got all these years of experience. And why shouldn't I use that? And why shouldn't I charge for it as well? I think there's there's a couple of things there. One, I think you need the confidence to do it. Yeah. You know, the conf- being confident to talk to to customers, absolutely, because you're doing it in a in a different way. So, so that's important. I think also having some boundaries of knowing when to say no and how to manage 
that service. Yep. So if you start to talk to a customer who's asking all sorts of things, you haven't got enough information that you have got those professional boundaries to say, no, this is outside. But that doesn't mean that we can't try. Yep. And I think people should be starting to try and, and think in different ways. And I agree, yeah, there are comments on the the hub from surveyors who actually, you know, from their day-to-day job, what they need to do, are probably really technically competent. But we pick up new things sometimes and learn something new. And do you know what? It's the place where there is no such thing as a stupid question because I would rather people ask the question, learn from what's gone on and what's been said uh, than actually give end up giving poor advice to a client. Uh, And it's it's interesting, you know, when we started out, we didn't think many people would join. As I record this today, we've got nearly 1,700 in the group. There are a lot of trainees in there, I think it's fair to say. They don't all mark their posts with hashtag student. So if anyone's listening, you need to, which which would help. But even so, some of us who've who've been surveyors for many years, we still learn something new or a new dynamic to it. But it is the place to ask those those questions and, and learn. And we just don't have those conversations in our offices anymore because we don't all have offices. And it's been really interesting to see how things have evolved. I think you raised some interesting points there. I mean, don't take my comments as suggesting these people are incompetent um, or that there is a, such a silly question. In fact, often when I, I give talks to surveyors, I say, if you ever stop questioning, if you ever think you know it all, then please stop being a surveyor because you're useless. I think part of why I now enjoy it so much is I'm inquisitive and I love problem solving. So I'm always finding new things, you know, especially with the sort of properties I deal with anyway. So I totally agree with what you're saying. But yeah, it, it is going to be an interesting experiment. Well, hopefully it'll be more than an experiment, but it actually is something worth doing that provides value to the client and brings us an income in. Because as I say, all we've got to sell is our knowledge and experience. I mean, the other thing I've found, I mean, we're talking about residential surveying. One of the other aspects of my work over the years has been expert witness. So I've been doing that for over 30 years as well uh, as a member of the Academy of Experts and so on and so forth. And interestingly, in this past week, I've had several inquiries from solicitors for the remote consultancy for pre-litigation advice on the basis that if they can get their clients to show me around the problem and talk to me about their problems or defects or issues, could I give some pre-litigation advice? Is it worth progressing? Does it look as if there's an issue? And, you know, they're saying that this could be of value to them. So there may be some merit in this as a a service, not just in residential. Going back to the residential surveying, I'd be hesitant. In fact, at the moment, I'm not intending to do a full survey this way. It's much more for problem solving, defect analysis, you know, the one-off thing. We're offering it as an hour's chunk. So we're not saying this is going to be a full survey. I, I don't envisage that that's what it's going to be at least not at the moment. It's going to be an interesting time, this sort of lockdown period. You know, it's going to really give us opportunity to find different ways of working, different ways of approaching our business. And I think we need to be open to that. One of the things I'm not overly happy with is sometimes the what can feel like a pack mentality when somebody steps out of line and does something a bit different, you know, offers a different service. 
you know, the frown of, well, oh, we don't do things like that. And what about your terms? And and I guess that's in part, perhaps they're sort of feeling a bit threatened, but also we've got standards and there's a way we've always done things in our industry. But now is really the time to explore and try something different and be quite un- entrepreneurial about it, I guess, and, and experiments, you know? We've looked at it very carefully. We know what our limitations are. We know what the limitations of the scheme might be. And now we're just going to try it and see what happens. One of the things that I looked into a couple of years ago, I was doing some work for a company that I used to work for on if we had a new kind of survey, what would that look like? And in, in, as part of that research, I came across a number of different apps, you know, sort of mobile phone apps that were effectively promoting self-survey. Yeah. And they were run by or been created by surveyors the sort of small surveyor firms. And the idea was that the potential purchaser um, or vendor, actually, if it was a just a condition survey, would go around the house and take photos. And people can can Google and, and, and have a look at this. Some of them are still on there and still available. I did go out and try a few. I, I kept on filling out the form as though I was from Wrexham with a £2 million house. <laughs> I don't think there's many two million pound houses near Wrexham, <laughs> on the part I was from anyway, but no one ever got back to me. And I thought that was a really interesting concept of helping and empowering customers to understand what's involved in a, in a survey, to understand properties and what's involved in a property and almost sort of to meet the surveyor part way to explain what they were concerned about. You know, they could take pictures of cracks in a wall that could be shrinkage and nothing important, but it's important to the customer to address those things. And some of the apps, you know, actually sort of take you through, does the chimney look like this straight or does it look like this a bit wonky? And it was sort of educational as well. So the whole idea of self-survey is not new and it's never really taken off. But I now wonder... With the climate that we've got, I mean, okay, you know, nobody's visiting houses now, but that already starts to turn things on its head if we start to think differently or how technology can really help us as surveyors and improve our customer engagement. Well, yeah, I, I, I've not heard of the apps you're talking about, so I can't comment on those. I suppose there are two schools of thoughts on this issue of, you know, the homeowner and their knowledge. One is that we should keep them in the dark and just keep it within the profession so they have to come to us. But the other school of thought is, well, give them a bit of knowledge because there are certain things that with a bit of common sense, they can suss out for themselves, but they might then realise their limitations and come back to us later to ask for further advice. And to be quite honest, let, let's face it, a lot of what we do, dare I say, is not difficult. It's not rocket science. Most of it is just putting two and two together to make four and working things out. I mean, well, that's how I find it anyway. Very occasionally I come across something I have to think hard about and think, how am I going to advise a client? But most of the time it's fairly straightforward. And maybe I can say that because I've got 30 years of experience, 30, 40 years of experience. But I think there is an aspect of if you give people a little bit of knowledge, yes, yes, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing, but it might also open up the market in a different way. 
So I have wondered this myself. And in fact, with our surveys, we actually have a supplementary technical guide that in this lockdown, I'm going to review and rewrite. It's it's a 70 page book. It's almost a book in itself. And we give it to the client as part of the survey package because it gives them that little bit of advice and talks them about how to look after their property, different elements of the property and what to look out for and things like that and how to deal with repairs. And the clients like it. And as I say, we have a very high client retention rate and continuance rate in in terms of coming in for other jobs as well. And I think that's an important part. It's not just looking at the, the client just for that one transaction, but thinking longer term, people will want to do extensions or do things to their properties or problems might come back, or even they will refer you to other people. It's thinking about the relationship in a, in a longer, you know, the long game rather than just that just that one transaction. I think that's really important. Well, precisely. I think it's how we conduct ourselves. And I think I learned the lesson many years ago. I, I was asked to do a, a survey on a property in uh, East London, where I was, uh, I, that's where I was brought up in East London, my home stomping ground, as it were. And I was asked to do this survey, and I turned up on site, and the woman opened the door, an elderly lady on her own, opened the door, and she said, oh, I'll let you just get on with it. And she was twitchy and very nervous. And I said, well, hang on, can we just have a chat? Oh, you want to talk to me? I said, well, yes, I'd just like to have a chat, explain what I'm going to do, and ask you about the property. Oh, all right then. So we sat down and I said, how about a cup of tea? I could tell she was nervous. So we had a cup of tea and sat down, had a chat, asked about the property and everything. I said, I explained what I was going to do. And then I did the survey. A few hours later, when I left, I said, thanks very much. I hope that's okay. I hope I've left it as I found it, what have you. And um, she said, oh, I'm so grateful. I can come off the Valium now. And I said, pardon? And she said, oh, I had to go to the doctor the other day. I was so nervous of you coming around. And I said, but I'm not an ogre. She said, well, I know that now. She said, but the mortgage value, when he came around two weeks ago, she said he knocked on the door. And when I opened the door, he flashed me his card, barged past me and said, excuse me, I've just got to look around. Didn't ask anything, just walked around without a buy your leave or anything. She said, when I offered him a cup of tea, he said, oh, I can't do that. It'd be taken as a bribe. And then walked off again. Mm. And she said, I was so upset. She said, I felt like my home had been invaded. Do you know what? It's really interesting you say that because my experience as a female surveyor is that I would turn up as, as a property and very often I would have to defend myself as a, a young woman as I was back then and that I can do this job. And yes, I am a real life woman surveyor. People would sometimes get confused and think I was a, a district nurse or the gas man or gas woman for some reason. Must have been the, the bag I had at, <laughs> at the time. But I would also sometimes walk into a property and a couple of times where the owner usually a woman or an elderly person, burst into tears because they were relieved that I wasn't some big, hairy ogre of a surveyor coming in to do, I don't know what they thought I was going to do in the property. And it's really important as surveyors that we recognise and respect that we're walking into on their territory and they're very vulnerable and everything hangs on the balance or as they see it, you know, hangs on the balance of what um, you know, what our report might say and what we might do. And it's a, it's a very scary time for a lot of people. And also, you know, they've got um, emotional things going on. They might be downsizing. They might be getting divorced. Yeah. I remember going into one property and it was a bit like War of the Roses. 
and with all sorts sort of uh, going on. You know, and we've got to remember that we're walking into into their lives. That's quite a scary thing for some people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree, and uh, that's what I've always said to surveyors that I've trained: is you're going into someone else's house. We've got no right to be there at all. And if you get it wrong, you could be thrown out and you won't be able to do your job. So the important thing is to keep them sweet and to be nice to them. And in actual fact, you'll get information out of them. I, I mean, in the past, I mean, I know now in the RSS standards and guidance nowadays, it does talk about speaking to the vendor or asking questions. I've always done that. But back in the day, I used to have surveyors saying, well, you shouldn't be even talking to them. You think, well, where else are you going to get the information? You're just going to get... And they're human. They're just human, like us. (laughs) Exactly. I can be a little bit cheeky. I I walk in. If in the first five minutes, you know, they haven't offered me a cup of tea, I sort of ask, is your kettle broken? (laughs) (laughs) And then you get a complaint for that instead. (laughs) I must admit that I'm a bit of a coffee snob. And uh, if they offer me a hot drink and I see that it's instant, I say, no, I'll have tea, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) If I see a machine on the side, I say, I'll have coffee if it's out of that. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've all walked into properties and you check out the kitchen first and then decide whether you're going to have a a cup of tea or not. Or, well, you just had one, thanks. I've just had one, thanks. What advice would you give to new people coming into the industry to younger surveyors what what pearls of wisdom would you share i think it is to be inquisitive to always ask questions do not make assumptions and if you're not sure don't be afraid of asking and that can include the vendor there and then i mean i've been on site i mean i I did a survey recently if the vendor hadn't told me it was clay lump i wouldn't have known i knew it was unusual i knew there was something about it And I was chatting to the vendor and he said, oh, by the way, it's clay lump. And I said, oh, that explains it. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. But if you don't ask, you're not going to find out. So don't make assumptions. Don't be afraid to ask. And don't be afraid to, uh, you know, you talk about silly questions. There is no such thing as a silly question. Sometimes silly answers, but not necessarily silly questions. (laughs) I think when I I spoke about my frustration earlier, it, it wasn't frustration about the silly questions or the silly comments. It's just concern for the surveyors that they seem to be putting themselves in a position where actually they were vulnerable to being sued because they were stepping outside of really where they should be staying at the moment. But we all have to learn. You all have to take steps. I mean, there's no way I could have got involved in conservation from a standing start. You know, you have to gradually build that knowledge and information up over the years. The way I did it was private study to spend evenings just reading books and then looking out finding people who could tell me things so with thatch for example i thought well i want to know more about thatch i couldn't find enough at the time there were no books so i thought i know what i'll do i'll ask a thatcher so i went and asked the thatcher you know and had it explained and then i found out more and, and found out who else to ask and it's that sort of thing that inquisitive nature and wanting to know more so that's what I'd advise is don't be afraid to ask and, and just keep asking, keep pushing. And what about those who've never been through a recession or through a difficult period in surveying? We've got work dropping off like a cliff for most people now. We don't know how long it will last. Uh, what any, any thoughts to share on that? 
It's a difficult one. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when mortgage rates were 15% for a short while, and that is frightening. So it's a difficult time. What I think we have to remember is that we're all in this together. Everyone, the whole of society is suffering in different ways, but life has to go on. And so we talk about, at the moment, we're talking about some food chains and where we're going to get supplies of food and everything and, and supplies of different things. And I think it's made us realize we still need to get these things moving. We still need to have commerce around the country, even though most of us should be sat at home, locked down to help the NHS and you know stop the spread of the virus, which is the important thing. But people have still got homes over their heads. They've still got buildings they're responsible for. And when it rains, some of them are going to leak. Some of them are going to have problems. And if we have a very dry summer, some of them are going to have cracks and things that they will not know about. And if we're all sat at home, they're going to say, who do I ask now? No one's going to come out to me. No one's going to come and look at this damp patch that suddenly appeared or this crack that suddenly arisen because surveyors aren't allowed out. No, we're not. But we might be able to give you some advice if we can do it remotely like this. It doesn't stop us working if we're wise and sensible about it. I personally don't think, uh, my partners the other day were saying about when things get back to normal, what is normal? I don't think that normal is going to be what it was. I think we're going to be looking at a very different way of doing things, a different society in future. And in some ways, I hope it is, (laughs) Um, because there are aspects of what it was before this outbreak that we thought, oh, good grief. And I, I, I think that the new normal is going to be quite different to the old norm. Stephen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you as ever. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Thank you.